Right, you may open your Bible to Luke chapter 21. We'll be reading verses 20 to 38. Jesus says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, just as we're reading, I don't want you to misinterpret that in your mind, he is speaking of a future that is near at hand for this generation. The destruction that he describes will happen in A.D. 70. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. And on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. It's timely reading. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount that called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would come to help us. Just as you have promised, you will give your Holy Spirit to those who ask. If we are capable of giving good things, needed things to our children, even though we are sinners, how much more will our Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit when we ask? And so we claim this promise, Father, by faith taking you at your word, And we ask, Father, that you would fill us with your Spirit for the comprehension of our minds, for the humility and the faith and the worship of obedience of our hearts. Accomplish that in us and and do great work in us today for your name's sake. You have said, seek my face. And our hearts say back to you, your face, Lord, we will seek. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was in A.D. 70, after four months or so of brutal siege, 
that Rome broke through the weakened defenses of Jerusalem and destroyed the city. By the time the Roman armies were completed with their task, there wasn't a trace of life left in Jerusalem. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, who was there as a witness, more than a million Jews were killed and nearly a 100,000 were taken captive. All the months before, before the siege, when the Roman armies were just entering into Judea, Christians within the walled cities of Jerusalem typically throughout the centuries considered a formidable place of defense. But Christians decided that they were not going to stay within the walled heights of Jerusalem. And those Christians who were outside the city did not come into it to seek its refuge. Why? Because three to four decades earlier, Jesus said when the time came, when they saw these things beginning to take place, they must flee. All throughout this holy week that we are reading and studying about, Jesus promises what is coming and everything He says comes to pass. I want to give to you a number of these things so that you'll get the, the force of this, the effect of it. Upon His approach to the city on that Palm Sunday, as we call it, He told two of His disciples that they were to go into a village and there they would find a donkey on which no one had ever sat and they would be granted permission to take that animal. And so those two disciples found it, just as Christ promised. A few days later, He sent Peter and John into the city and told them that they would find a man carrying a jar of water and from him they must obtain the upper room to celebrate Passover. And so they found it, just as He promised. At the supper, He told the disciples that with Him was the hand of His betrayer on the table. And so it was. That very night, Judas Iscariot handed Jesus over to the temple guard. He said Peter would deny Him three times that night, and he did just that, even though Peter insisted that he wouldn't. He also has said, we saw last week, that his disciples would be persecuted following his return to glory, and so they were. He told them that in that suffering, they would have opportunity to bear witness, and so they did. And he also said that Rome would destroy the city of Jerusalem and the temple within it, and at the sight of the Roman armies, his followers must not find refuge in the city and those within it must flee. And because that generation decided that they must orient their lives around the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, they lived. Why did they live? Because everything was staked on the word of Jesus that they had come to trust. In the passage before us today, which we have already read, what Jesus is doing is showing to us the end. The, the end of all things. When the Son of Man returns in power and glory, bringing judgment on those who refuse His Word and salvation for those who believe Him. And He does this. He shows us the end through a destruction and a deliverance that was in the immediate future. You see that? Let me say it again. He shows us the end of all things, the final judgment and final salvation through the lens of a destruction and a deliverance that was in the immediate future. And He uses these truths and these promises 
to urge us to orient our whole lives around those words which he claims will never pass away. That generation of disciples bore witness. What Jesus says will be, will be. His word always comes to pass. His word is always fulfilled. He is faithful to His promises. His word never returns to Him void, but accomplishes all that He purposes. Do you believe the word of Jesus as you ought to? This previous week, did you trust in the word of Christ? Was all of your thinking and your hoping and your living centered on Christ's Word? Will you trust in the Word of Jesus tomorrow? Will you tune in enough and will you trust Him enough to orient all of your life around what He says? Right now, is your life showing that you believe? Do your hopes Reflect true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I also want to say this, as we think about our unbelief and our doubts, do you believe the Lord Jesus when He says that all of your pathetic unbelief is paid for and forgiven at His cross? And that by His resurrection life, the power of your unbelief, all the way from defying His Word to doubting His Word, the power of your unbelief is broken and no more can enslave you or have tyranny over your life. You are free. By the Word of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the work that He has accomplished, you have been redeemed to take Him at His Word. Let's look at this text. The Roman siege is... Jesus describes it in verses 20 to 24 is obviously brutal. Rome is going to be merciless even to the most vulnerable among the population, to the weakest people, killing or capturing everyone that is within the city. Jesus says in verse 22, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. What does he mean? Think about all that had been written. All of the Old Testament was commanding the people of God to obey Him with all of their heart and threatening the judgment of God if they disobeyed Him. And so they disobeyed Him. And they incurred the judgment of God upon their lives again and again and again. When the promised Messiah came at last, the pattern of their lives, the pattern of their history proved to be preparation for when the Messiah came. That they did not embrace Him, but they rejected Him at the last. The, the nation of Israel handed Jesus over to a Gentile death, crucifixion. And so for this very worst sin of all, crucifying the Lord of heaven, the worst judgment yet fell in A.D. 70, showing that this was judgment of such a nature that it showed to Israel that all of the other warnings and all of the other judgments that they had suffered throughout their history were simply 
foreshadowings of that judgment that was coming in A.D. 70. All of those judgments before simply prefigured that judgment. And that's why Jesus says in verse 22 again, that these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. And then we see in verse 25 that there is still a worse judgment that is coming upon the entire world. As the other judgments that had already been suffered, as the other judgments that had been promised had come, and many people had died, so this future judgment that Jesus prophesies is coming. And not just many will die, but all the world who refuses the word of Jesus Christ will perish in the end. There's no denying that those previous judgments happened. Many sufferings all through the centuries for the people of God. They happened. There's no denying it. And so this future judgment is going to happen. Though the world denies it or lives in denial of it until the very end. It's happening. Jesus says that there will be phenomena in the heavens and in the earth that will make the people so fearful of what they are going to suffer that the fear itself will feel like it is killing them. And Jesus says when the powers of the heavens are shaken, then at that time the greater power will come. Look at verse 27 again. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. It is so easy to miss the magnitude of the words that Jesus speaks in verse 27. But don't. Don't miss the force of what Christ is saying. He is using language deliberately drawn from one of the greatest promises written in the entire Old Testament. This is actually the fulfillment of the ancient vision that Daniel had. Daniel said, I saw in the night visions. And behold, in fact, while I'm reading this, why don't you look down at verse 27 and notice the parallel words here. He says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And this is the hope of the people of God. Jesus receiving from the Father that power and glory and kingdom that is forever. The One who is the Son of Man. And that's exactly what Jesus is describing when He says, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But as Jesus is describing it in verse 27, it is not blessing upon the world. The return of the Lord Jesus Christ is judgment upon the entire world. As it says in Revelation, again using very similar language from Luke and Daniel both, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, 
Amen. So what we have seen thus far is that all of the judgments that were experienced in the Old Testament era were foreshadowing that judgment that would fall on the city of Jerusalem for crucifying their Messiah. That was fulfilled in AD 70. And yet that judgment, as brutal as it was, is but a prefigurement and foreshadowing of the ultimate judgment that is still to come upon the whole world. But I want you to notice something else as well from the words of Jesus. I want you to see that just as the old judgments reveal the the latter, greater judgment that is still to come, so there was a deliverance in A.D. 70 for those who trusted in Jesus Christ. It wasn't a huge thing. It wasn't necessarily a miraculous thing, really. But there was a deliverance. And the deliverance that was given to those who took Jesus at His word foreshadows foreshadows the awesome salvation and deliverance that is still to come on the last day. So I want you to see, if you just read, skim over this passage, there is so much that can be missed here. But look at verses 20 and 21 again. Because Jesus echoes verses 20 and 21 in verses 28 and 31. And what He is doing is drawing a straight line from that small deliverance in A.D. 70 to the great deliverance that is to come when Jesus Christ returns. So he said, look at verse 20 and 21, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee. Let those who are inside the city depart. And that fleeing would be to their salvation. Right? They would flee and find deliverance. But then look at verses 28 and 31. He says about the end, and notice the echoing. Pick up on this this language that corresponds from the beginning of our passage to the end. He says, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is near. And then in verse 31, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. What is truly awesome, and we can't miss here, is that that first salvation for the people of God in A.D. 70 was that they would have to run. Take Jesus at His word, and when you see beginning to take place what He said would take place, run for your life, and you will save your lives. But at the end of time, when all of these things are taking place, the heavenly and earthly phenomena that causes the world so much fear, he says, do not run, but rather straighten up and raise your head. Really not run, but be still and watch the salvation of God come to His people. When the Son of Man comes, Ryan read the the passage earlier from 2 Thessalonians. When Jesus comes, Judgment and salvation both. When the Son of Man comes to judge and to make war in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, so also He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. 
So on that day, those believers who are alive and remain, straighten up and raise your heads because the people of God will be redeemed. Just like, just like that woman who had been disabled for so many years, hunched over, bent over, and Jesus said to her back in Luke chapter 13, woman, you are freed. The Bible says he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. Her burden, the weight, that had been upon her all her life fell off and she was free. And so it will be at the end for the people of God who take Jesus Christ at His word. When all of these things taking place, which will be the end of the world, God's people will be redeemed. We will be saved. You will be free from every burden that you have ever had. You will be free from every misery that comes on us because of our fallen human condition. There's, there won't be a single misery left. We'll be freed from our mortality and our Redeemer will save us. I want you to consider with me verse 32. He says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Now this is a difficult verse. So here's our question that this this brings up okay it's that our question is how can all take place before this generation passes away taking his words at face value wouldn't that mean that jerusalem will be judged and the final judgment will fall with the return of the son of man in power and glory and doesn't that mean that this is all going to happen in their lifetime Let me give you three things that will hopefully help us walk through it and come to an understanding. First, I don't think that we should take, maybe you're already looking at your study notes if you have a study Bible. First, I don't think that we should take the path of many interpreters and try to make the phrase, this generation, mean anything but its normal use. I believe Jesus means the generation that was present when he spoke, meaning believer and unbeliever included. Second, I think that it's obvious that Jesus cannot be including the return of the Son of Man in power and glory and final judgment and salvation in the all that will take place before that generation passes away. Because, well, think about this. What will happen to every believer who is alive and remains when Jesus returns? Will they die? No, they will not die. So I don't think that Jesus is guaranteeing that he is returning during their lifetime with final judgment and final salvation. Because it's clearly implied, look at what he says. This generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Very clearly implying the strong possibility that they may pass away. He says they won't pass away until this has taken place. And yet, again, every believer who is alive and remain when Jesus returns will not pass away. But here he is clearly implying that they may. So Jesus is not guaranteeing 
His return with final judgment and final salvation in their lifetime. He can't be. Or he would not imply that, in fact, the whole generation may die. So third, what does Jesus mean in verse 32 when he says, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place? I believe that what Jesus means by all is the vengeance that God is going to pour out through the Roman Empire on the city of Jerusalem and the temple for having rejected their Messiah. And Jesus uses the word all because we have such a strong prefigurement, a preview of the great judgment and salvation that is yet to come. And so He says all these things will take place. Meaning there is judgment for those who refuse His word and salvation for those who believe in Jesus that will be accomplished in A.D. 70. And those things will preview the return of the Son of Man for judgment and salvation in the last day. Verse 33. Okay, so we have the generation of Jesus' day will pass away. And he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. If verse 32 was difficult to understand, I think verse 33 is pretty plain. What a verse. Get in your mind a picture of a person that you greatly respect. Someone whose words carry weight, who has integrity in their life. Someone you respect so much that you would love it for your child to grow up to be like that individual. Whose character you would love to emulate yourself. So imagine being in conversation with this very respectable person one day and you're talking about all of the, the controversies and conflicts and catastrophes all around the world. And imagine that person looking you dead in the eye and with all sincerity saying to you, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Back away. Just a little bit at a time, imperceptibly. Just inch away slowly back until you are out of arm's reach and then run. Run away from that person as fast as you can because that person's mind has just gone to bonkers land. No one who is in their right mind says that. No one who is sane says that. And if they are sane, holding out the small possibility that they are sane and say such a thing, they have become possessed by a terrifying evil. Either they are a liar in the mold of the father of lies or they are completely loony to make such a statement. No one says these things. Which is why in the book of John when the temple guard are sent by the authorities to arrest Jesus, they were just marveling at the words that were coming out of his mouth and they came back empty-handed and when they were accosted for not returning with the arrested Jesus, they said, no one has ever spoken like this man. Jesus says these things. This is what He says. Heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will not pass away. Who is this man who talks just like He is God? 
He is the one who speaks and what he says does. His word works all the wonders of the will of God. His very word. Nothing that he says returns to him void, empty, fallen on the ground. But all that he says accomplishes all that he purposes. That's Jesus Christ. He is the one who speaks and the raging deep is stilled. He is the one who speaks and diseases and demons flee. And even he is the one who speaks and death itself and damnation itself are reversed at his word. He says this. And nobody would look at the words of Jesus in the Gospels and and say, this man is insane. He has the perfect mind. So that even some of the greatest skeptics in the world who viciously oppose him admire this Jesus who talks like this. And Jesus himself said, what can you accuse me of? What can you condemn me for? And there was nothing that they could say because they knew that this was a blameless goodness that stood before them. Not a lunatic and not a liar. He is the one who proclaims good news to the poor. He is the one who proclaims liberty to the captives. He is the one who proclaims the year of God's favor the day of our salvation. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. I am going to stake everything I have, everything I am, I'm going to stake today and I'm going to stake all of my tomorrows and my eternity upon Jesus Christ and His Word, which never passes away. And are you with me? Will you not entrust everything that you are and all of your future, even that beyond the grave, to the Lord Jesus Christ? Heaven and earth is going to pass away. So you cannot put your hopes in the skies. You cannot put your hopes on anything in this world, but all on Jesus Christ, whose word never passes away. So how? How must you and I live Not just in light of the end that is going to come, but how must you and I live in light of the one before the face of the one who is going to make the end? Jesus tells us. Let's read verses 34 and 35 again. But watch yourselves. As you keep an eye on Him, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Dissipation just means a wasted living. And that day, if you don't watch yourself, and those things weigh you down, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. How do you live before the face of the one who makes the end? He says, let nothing of this world weigh you down. Nothing. And notice the categories here. He talks about Dissipation and drunkenness, which just, he's talking about sin. What is obviously sinful. Don't let that weigh you down. 
And then he also, in another category, speaks of the cares of this life. So he's not only talking about don't let sin weigh you down, don't let sin own your life, but don't let suffering own you either. Don't let suffering dictate your hopes. Don't let suffering turn you away from the Lord. Don't let suffering master you and own you. Neither the pleasures of this world nor the pain of this world. Let nothing own you but Christ, your Lord and your Redeemer. We like to say, common expression, everything is riding on, everything is riding on me getting this job. Everything is riding on this money coming in. Everything is riding on him getting better. Everything is riding on this situation working out just like I have planned. Everything is riding on whatever. But listen, everything is riding on nothing in this world. Everything is riding on nothing that you may ever experience in your life. Not the greatest pleasure that you would like to experience in this life and not the worst pain that you can imagine suffering in this life. It all rides on none of that. Everything is riding on the Lord Jesus Christ whose word never passes away. Everything is riding on Him. So give yourself wholly to the Lord. Don't act like a slave. Don't think like a slave. Don't let the pleasures of this world control you. Be free from them because you are free. Don't let you, don't think like a slave. Don't, don't even let the pains of this life control you and diminish all your hopes and make you throw up your hands in despair and think that everything is lost. Because again, everything is riding on nothing in this life, not in this world, but on Christ. The other day, uh, last week sometime, let me try to tell this quickly. Uh, um, <laughs> what do I want to say? Um, every morning, um, get up, get ready, go to the girls, wake them up for school, and uh, they end up having breakfast. We do our quiet time together, and then Cherie takes them on to school. And every day I, I go back and I continue with uh, my Bible reading and stuff like that. And every day I forget to untie the dog and to let him outside. And every day he lets me know it. He starts shaking. He's off in the kitchen. He's, he's tied up. He's got his leash around him. And the, the leash handle is, you know, wrapped around a stool leg. So he can't go anywhere. And so every day he starts shaking. And I can hear his tags jingling. And Joel's sleeping. And I would love Joel to stay asleep for a while longer. So he starts shaking. And if I don't pay attention to that, he'll even start barking. And, uh, that's when I start to get annoyed. Anyway, so the one day last week, uh, I went over to Chewy after he had let me know that I hadn't let him off yet. And so I went to, to loose him from his leash and let him outside. But that leash handle wasn't around the stool leg at all. It was actually, it was lying loose on the floor. He was totally free. He could have romped all over the house, but he had just been so used to being bound to being tied that he just assumed that that's what the case was that day. So I looked down at him, and I said, you dumb dog. And I didn't think of it then, but I should have thanked him for the sermon illustration. 
Because isn't that how so many people live? Even believers not taking Jesus at His Word when He says your redemption is coming. You have already seen your Redeemer come and die for you to free you from the slavery of your sin. You are no more enslaved. You're not tied anymore. You're free. So why are you acting like you're tied? Why are you acting like you're bound to this world? You're not a slave. You're freed. You've been, you've been redeemed. The power of defiance, the power of doubts don't hold you anymore. So don't act like a slave. Don't think like a slave. Don't get the little... I'm going to use a Bill word. Bill used to say, uh, he says, you can't be, you can't be old and be a weenie. Don't have the little weenie hopes of the world. You know, their hope is just on what tomorrow may bring. Those hopes are so small. We can't just hope for greener pastures, something better on the other side of the hill. We have Christ coming. Christ Himself, our redemption is coming. So straighten up and lift your head and act like one who has already been freed. Because you have been. And greater freedom is still to come. How can you live in light of this day? Jesus says, pray. Always praying, He says. Stay awake praying. You're going to go to sleep if you quit praying. You're not going to be watchful if you quit praying. You're not going to have the right hopes if you quit praying. So here's the prayer. I basically see it as the sinner's prayer. Pray the sinner's prayer until the end of your life. Isn't that basically what he says? Pray that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Pray the sinner's prayer. Oh Lord, You are my hope and my only hope. You've delivered me. Deliver me still. You have drawn me to Yourself. Draw me near again. Keep praying the sinner's prayer all your life long. And when He comes, you will not dread His coming and you will not shrink from Him in shame. But when Jesus Christ comes, you will see in Him all of your hopes fulfilled. Whose words are you listening to, church family? There's so many voices clamoring for your attention. The political pundits, they want your attention. The advertiser wants your attention. All the seduction of the world, it wants your attention. Whose voice are you listening to? The world, in fact, says, listen to your heart. Which if you do that, you're just listening to the world, right? Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to your heart. Don't listen to the word of the adversary. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ. His words alone will never pass away. Listen to what His news is. His proclamations. Listen to His promises. Tune your heart to pick up and to latch onto His words. Listen to Christ. His songs. His love. His truth. And your heart will not be weighed down by the burdens of this world. Rather, in your heart and in your hopes, in all your thoughts, you will have freedom. 
And just one more thing. Uh, as I've been saying all along, close with this. It's coming. The freedom of the glory of the children of God is coming. And that's where our hopes must be. Let's listen to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ and we thank you for his words and we thank you, O oh God, that you have given us faith to believe them. Apart from your gift, we would never believe. We would never turn away from listening to the world or our own hearts or even what the adversary has to say except you gave us faith and you inclined our hearts to your words. And so we pray, as you have inclined our hearts to your testimonies, incline our hearts again and open our eyes so that from your word we see the most wondrous things. Father, I pray that you would plant in the heart of every person here the determination that if they are able, they will open your word in the morning to see the Son of God rise from there. Give us eyes to see Him. Give us ears to hear Him. Give us the heart that says back to You, we will seek Your face. Lord, we know and we rejoice that Jesus Christ is the face of God. In Him, all Your glory shines. May we be His faithful people. Father, if there is one here who is not calling on Christ, not trusting in Christ and calling on Christ to save them, I pray that you would draw them today. May this day be the day of their salvation. Father, encourage your people. The world is saying so much. I pray that our hearts would be fortified and made strong by the truth that no matter what the world says, Jesus Christ has the final say. For everything the world says is going to pass away but the word of our Lord Jesus Christ endures forever. In him we live, and in him we pray. Amen.